Hello and welcome to the Hornets and Heartbreak Podcast. My name is Mark Bernanke and I'm here with my co-host, Tim Rogers. What's up, Tim? What do you do, Ligger Mark? I'm doing pretty well, man. And we are going to do the Horny Full Season Awards today. If you are a longtime listener, you remember us doing our mid-season Horny Awards. Uh, We named it the Horny Awards. Tim's recommendation. I liked it. We're going with it. Tim, who you got for MVP for the Hornets for this season? Uh, So I actually did put a little bit of thought into this, but I just kept coming back to the same guy. That would be our man, Scary Terry Rozier. Who you got, Mark? I got got Terry as well. Uh, The fact that you even, like, had to think about it shows that you – are kind of a Terry hater, Tim. Um, <laughs> when we did this at the halfway point of the season, it was Gordon Hayward that won the award for me and for you as well. Uh, but the be- best player on this team this season was definitely Terry. He was consistently the best player in the clutch, uh, was also the leader for us. And he was the unofficial captain all season long, just leading the team. The big thing between him and Gordy now is obviously Gordy missed all those games. Terry actually was first on the team in games played and in minutes played. Hashtag availability is the best ability. Shout out to uh, Ben Golliver, who was on the episode last week. That's one of his catchphrases. Um, so, yeah, Terry played the most games. He was averaged the most points on the team. And he was just the best player for us. I don't think it's that big of a discussion. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I would agree that. I mean, I think availability is his biggest plus. Uh, he was actually sixth in the league in total minutes played wow. this season. So, yeah, yeah, he was very available. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say his pros, uh, just his clutch shooting. I mean, man has balls of steel. One of his multiple games seemed to just be automatic in the clutch. Uh, he really stepped up his defense this year after really just being a sieve on defense his first three, four years in the league is now a passable defensive player. Uh, Pretty crazy. His turnover rate is less than 10%. You don't really see that from guards very often. That's a strong sign that maybe he wasn't passing the ball a ton, but still leads to effective offense nonetheless. And another thing in his uh, pros category would be the fact that he's responsible for at least 30% of Eric Collins' best calls this season. So yeah, I mean, I give that man the MVP. Awesome. Uh, A couple more stats for him. Um, just on a per game basis, you know, we mentioned that he played more than everybody else, but I also think that if you're taking it on like a, just per game basis, he was the best player on our team this season, just slightly edging out Gordy. Um, he was third on the team in assists per game, which is a little bit surprising to me, trailing only LaMelo and Devante. He also was second in steals per game, trailing only LaMelo first in points per game. Um, and he shot the ball efficiently. He actually dipped a little bit. Uh, towards the end of the season in his shooting efficiency. He was shooting like 45% from three somewhere in the middle of the season, wound up shooting 38%. Um, so yeah, a little, little bit of a dip there, but um, nonetheless, he was a very good player on our team. I think his efficiency also, that dipping can be related to like him just having to take all the shots for us with all of our players being out. Um, so that's not really his fault. And yeah, man, he was just a pleasure to watch. Who would Who would be behind him? If you had to rank, I guess, two or two and three, like who would you give an honorable mention to? So I did I did have Gordy number two. I don't know if I totally agree with you saying that when everyone healthy, uh, when everyone is healthy, that he was still the best player. I think that Gordon probably day in, day out was our best player when active. I hate to say that. Uh, you know, that it's close. Me. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's very, it's, it's crazy how just like their per hundred possession numbers, pretty much identical, their win shares, everything is just like lining up. So it really is just an either or. And I guess maybe I'm even being hacky by considering Gordon Hayward. I feel like, you know, every season NFL or NBA near the end of the year, someone writes that article, like maybe Steph Curry was the most valuable player last year because like his missed time showed how valuable he was. And I mean, you can't, you can't ignore the nine and 19 without Gordon Hayward. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, you derive value from availability, which is fair, but I feel like that's, that's what gave him the second place on top of being our best player on a per play basis. Yeah. Yeah. The nine and 19 without Gordon Hayward is pretty brutal. Um, just as a quick third place would be Lamella ball for all the Lamella fans out there. I got, I got Lamello in third and then fourth <laughs> is my most improved player. If you're ready to move on to that. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give this one to miles bridges. His jump in scoring efficiency is amazing. He went from like one of the most inefficient scores on our team to the most efficient score on our team. Um, he went from a 33% three point shooter last season to a 40% three point shooter this season. Here are some of his stats uh, for shooting compared to the rest of the team. Third in field goal percentage behind only Bismack and Cody Zeller, who are shooting lots of dunks, lots of easy layups. Second in two-point field goal percentage behind only Zeller. So he somehow shoots better from two than Bismack Biombo. He's third in three-point percentage behind only Gordon Hayward and Malik Monk. And first in free throw percentage. All of that adds up to the best effective field goal percentage on the team and the best true shooting percentage on the team, a.k.a. the most efficient scorer on the team. And, yeah, I'm just giving him most improved player because of that. I think there was just such a noticeable jump in his efficiency from last season to this season. When Miles Bridges shoots now, I'm expecting it to go in, whereas before it's like a turn away when he shoots a three kind of thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, yeah, as you said, I mean, his true shooting percentage up 10%. I mean, you, you do not see that really ever, even among like most improved player candidates, 10% in, a, in true shooting percentage. I mean, that's like a career changer percentage so i mean miles really went above and beyond but it doesn't really even like the stats don't tell the full story because if you look at miles uh numbers last year versus this year they look essentially the same you know around 13 points six and a half rebounds nothing special but it really came just through watching him in and out he no longer has his stone feet on defense and you know just always looking in the wrong direction getting beat on cuts that's no longer an issue for him he's using his athleticism to start to block shots get some steals and really work in transition uh you know everything that we said about miles going into the season what we hoped he would be he did actualize that potential and yeah that's why he's my he's my most improved really looking forward to his next season max contract miles i'm i'm excited that you also picked him i think like Terry Rozier has a decent candidacy for, for most improved player. But at the end of the day, it is Miles Bridges. And what you said about, like, if you look at his stats, like specifically his counting stats, his season this year and last year are pretty much the same. But then you start to look at, like, his just shooting percentages. That's where he made the biggest leap. He also really improved as a defender, I think. You know, like, he's a legitimate uh, rim protector. I didn't even want to do, like, a deep dive. Like, I, I didn't even take the time to do that for, for this episode, like, where um, you look at like his second half of the season compared to the first half of the season. But I know those numbers are like staggering. 
Like he was averaging like 10 points per game in the first half of the season. And then at some point that flipped and he started averaging like 16, 17 points per game. Um, so like the way he was playing the second half of the season was way, uh, way better than the first half. He even improved mid season, but throughout the whole year, he was shooting the ball. Well, um, and that's what that's what we wanted from him. Who who do you have second? Is it is it Terry? Yeah, as far as second place goes, uh, the only guy that really popped in my head would be uh, our man, Scary Terry Rozier. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, really improved his defense. Uh, did shoot like Steph Curry for a good fifty five games of the season, so that does count. Uh, yeah, no one else really came to mind. Uh, wouldn't be Devonte Graham. Wouldn't be PJ. Yeah, so Scary Terry. Yeah, I, I gave it to Scary Terry as well. Um, and I think that earlier in the season, it was like pretty clearly scary, Terry. Um, but Miles made such a jump second half of the year that it goes to him. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Actually, before we move on, one more thing on Miles I wanted to mention. Do you know what his duck, dunk percentage was by the end of the season, Tim? It, longtime listeners will remember that uh, we had his dunk percentage super low going into the season. We wanted him to get that up. Uh, it was at 7% of his shots last year were dunks, which is just like way too low for somebody as athletic as him. What do you think it went up to, Tim? I'm going to guess 10.7. 14 and a half. He doubled Woo! it. He doubled it. Yeah. Our boy just taking more effective, sh- uh, more efficient shots. He was dunking more and he was shooting more threes this season. So that really helped him just play better. And and the uh, the free throw rate went up. It wasn't a massive jump. But yeah, he's averaging career highs across the boards. Give it up to Miles Bridges. Easy to just trash players all the time, but this is exactly what you want to see out of a young guy. All right, let's move on from him to our most disappointing player. Maybe not what fans want to hear, but uh, this one goes to P.J. Washington. Just because he didn't have a massive leap from year one to year two, me and Tim have been pretty hard on P.J., um, when you look at his numbers, he actually did like pretty much the exact same thing he did last season. So you can't like critique him too much, but you just expect some sort of leap from a guy who was, you know, one of the best rookies in the league last last year. Um, you expect him to take a little bit of a jump and he really didn't. He came into the season a little bit out of shape um, and, you know, he had his stretches where he played well, but he also had stretches where he just was breaking shot after shot from three. Um, and he can be super frustrating offensively. So yeah, that's why I picked him for most, most disappointing player. Um, also 48% on twos is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty deplorable. Yeah. And I think we both did the same thing. Uh, you know, we both haven't had him in mind as most disappointed player. And I went on to his basketball reference, ready to tear it up. And I was like, Oh, it's like the exact same, like minus, like, you know, a couple things went down, a couple things went up, but like, I mean, within, you know, like two tenths of a point all around. Uh, but yeah, you know, he just didn't really have that jump. You know, obviously he stayed an extra year in school. Uh, maybe that has something to do with it. But, you know, we did experience a similar thing with Miles in his second year where, you know, we were disappointed by his growth. So hopefully he picks it up. But yeah, I mean, just not enough this year. For a guy who is a 38% three-point shooter, I feel like I never trust him to make a three. And mm-hmm. obviously that's just, you know, a blind heuristic that doesn't, doesn't matter as much. But yeah, when you look at his offensive game, it is a little concerning that other than shooting threes, what can he do? He's not a great free throw shooter, doesn't have a post-up game that he can really punish smaller guys, can't dribble, so he can't take bigger guys off the dribble. It's just something for him to really work on coming into this offseason. We'll give him one pat on the back, though, 14th in blocks per game this year. Oh, damn, that's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, you know, we haven't really 
gone too hard on PJ this episode specifically, but we have definitely in the past. And, you know, it's important to remember that he's really frustrating offensively, but defensively, he's one of the best players on our team, right? Um, Absolutely. And yeah. he gets he gets a really tough task. He's a smaller guy, even though he has the 7-3 wingspan. Uh, 46% of his minutes this year came as the biggest player, the center on the courts for us. So, I mean, that is tough, and he held his own. Wasn't a completely discouraging season. 46% of his minutes came at the five. That's that's interesting. I probably would have brought that up just a little bit higher if I were Big Jim. Uh, but 46% is is pretty high. I think before the season, we would not have expected that, right? We like kind of heard rumors of the PJ at the five experiment, but we did not see like that many minutes of the five coming from him. Um, so it's important to put that in context. And also uh, for fans out there listening that are like big PJ stands, just remember, like, this is most disappointing player. It's not worst player. If it were worst player, you'd go to Bismack Biombo. Um, but, you know, we didn't have any expectations for the players that really sucked on our team this year, like Caleb Martin or Bismack or whatever. So they don't really qualify for this horny award. It has to go to PJ because of his expectations being high and then not really reaching those. Absolutely. That That is a great point. Still expect a lot from him in the future. Yeah, he just went from looking like, possibly a young Paul Millsap to a young Patrick Patterson. Nothing wrong with Patrick Patterson. <laughs> All right, bro. Let's uh, move on from that somber note. What was your favorite moment of the season, Tim? All right. So my favorite moment of the season came about 20 games in. Uh, we had just lost six of seven games. Uh, and then we also had the Washington game postponed in the middle where we just had seven game or seven days of just total downtime. And we had three games and four nights coming up against the Pacers, the Bucks, and the Miami Heat. Very tough teams. And season was kind of on the brink, slipping away. And what did we do? We smacked the Bucks. We dusted off the Malik Monk cobwebs, let him hit a couple of threes against the uh the Pacers and the Bucks and then we had a full-blown monk gasm against the Heat which is by far my favorite moment of the season maybe my favorite moment of being a Hornets fan in the last couple of years um it's really took like a storybook it's like this young disgruntled guy can't get a shot and then bam out of necessity who comes and hits the game tying shot to send us in overtime Malik Monk against Miami baby favorite moment of the season what you got Mark yeah, so I actually just tried to come up with something different than that, like, three-game stretch. That three-game stretch is going to go down as one of my favorite moments of being a Hornets fan ever. Like, you're talking about the Miami game, but in that Bucks game, LaMelo had 27 points. The Pacers game, he also went off. We won all three of those games. And like you said, the season was on the brink. Like, things were starting to get pretty dark there, and that really saved our season. The Heat game also was LaMelo's first game starting for us. I don't know if you remember that, but that was his first game as a starter. Um, so there, that was just like a super exciting time in the season. And really that whole month, I think that was like right at the start of February. That whole month was just super, super fun to watch, Mar like February to March. That was the best part of the season. And that's where it really started. Um, I went with a moment, which is the Hornets beating the Kings, the miracle after mm -hmm. midnight Late at night on a Sunday night, uh, the Hornets were down by eight with less than a minute to go and won the game in regulation. Terry Rozier did nothing all game, but then came in clutch in that last minute. He only had eight points, but like he was what I remember just hitting that game uh, game winning layup, I guess, because it was an and one. 
Uh, this is one of my favorite moments of the season. A, because my roommate wasn't at home, so I was just like screaming obnoxiously at like 1 a.m. on a Sunday night while watching this game uh, and just like thinking that it was over and then just going nuts when we win the game in the last minute. Uh, and B, the Gastonia four, a.k.a. the Hornets' last four first-round draft picks were our four leading scorers that night. PJ had like 42 points. LaMelo, uh, Miles, and Malik all chipped in as well. That game was sick, bro. It was, and you know, it's it's corny, but that is kind of why you are a Hornets fan. It's like you want to see these young guys who get drafted when they're 18, 19. You just see them grow up for like four years just for random February games like that or March games like that, you know? It's where you're excited, you're pacing around the house, you just you're texting people the whole next day. It just lifts you up. It's a great moment, great game. Yeah, for sure. All right, things you would do differently if you were James Borrego. This is a long-winded uh, horny award name. We got we to gotta come up with a different <laughs> different name for that one for the future. But uh, the Big Jim uh, Replacement Award, what would you do if you were diff- not James Borrego? This is a real hot take here, Mark, so stand with me here. Uh, I wouldn't start Bismack fucking Biombo in a play-in <laughs> game. <laughs> Like, I understand it's not like we have prime Hakeem Olajuwon backing him up or anything, so there's not a lot of options. Ride with PJ at the five. It is a do-or-die game. How many times this year did we bring Bismack in just to see our offense stand to a halt? I mean, I like Big Jim more than most people, but just really indefensible coaching right there in essentially a one-win playoff game. All right, so I'm going to go a little bit differently. I'm going to go with don't start LaMelo. Let him come off the bench all season mm. and just have him. I'm just I'm just fucking with you, dude. That's not, that's not <laughs> what I'm going with. <laughs> Definitely start LaMelo. Uh, it is stop playing Bismack Biombo any minutes early in the season. Just, like, stop playing him ever. Cody Zeller, you know, you can play him a little bit still. Play Jalen McDaniels more. Give Vernon Carey Jr. some time. Play Bridges more earlier in the season. Maybe even start PJ at the five. Fuck it, dude. We've got nothing to lose. We were the 10th seed anyway. We should have tried some funkier stuff earlier in the season. Um, and, dude, Bismack Yamba just sucks. He's just not good at basketball. Like, offensively, like you said, he just really hurts our team. Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense that he was playing. Like, I understand the leadership stuff. I understand he's a decent defensive player. But, yeah, him offensively in the modern NBA just doesn't work. It's wild that he's still in the league. Like, like dudes, like, um, I can't think of a good example right now, but somebody who, what's that dude for the bucks, uh, Greg Monroe, how is Greg Monroe out of the league and Bismack Biombo still in the league? doesn't make any sense. It's because biz biz has a better smile. That's what it all comes down to. But yeah, you make, you make a great point about experimentation. No coach is going to get fired for not playing Bismack Biombo. You know, like you'll get fired if you just bench LaMelo five straight games. Michael Jordan is not banging your door down being like, where is biz? Like we're getting crushed by Jonas Valanciunas. That doesn't happen. You have to think outside the box. It's just, it's indefensible. Yeah. Yep. Completely agree with you. That's the one thing this whole year that we've been talking about that just like never really changed. Like he would go through stretches where he wasn't playing Bismack, but then he'd put him back in for some reason. And it just never really went away. Hopefully, you know, next season that changes. Again, Bismack Biombo seems like a good dude. We've said this over and over again this season. But, yeah, just stop playing him, man. It's, it's, it's time. 
at least this off season, we don't have to watch any more Bismack minutes. <laughs> yeah, you would, you would think, you would hope. Yeah, and I think that's just something with coaches in general. Uh, I see this from Steve Kerr a lot. Obviously, watch a lot of Warriors games. We saw a lot of it with Steve Clifford the last couple of years. Coaches and like just defensive players, it's a security blanket. That's why Brad Wanamaker was immediately getting run, even though we were hurt. The Martins were playing over Monk. Coaches just like players that don't get torched on defense. I guess, you know, really just bothers them. And I don't think that's a Borrego-specific fault. I think that's every coach in the league just prefers defense to offense, even though it's clearly becoming a more offensive league. But Big Jim will adapt, and he will grow stronger. Let's give our man a big clap for getting his uh, fourth-year team option picked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so big news. We almost opened the podcast with that. Uh, James Borrego will be back next season. Uh, I think there was about, we thought there was probably like a 5% chance. He, he was not back next season, a pretty low percent chance, but it was, it was a possibility considering how the season ended. So he will be back for his fourth season. And, uh, yeah, I am, I am excited with that news. I was not hoping that we fired it, but I thought it was possible. Big Jim era lives on, uh, Mark, speaking of big Jim, uh, what's your favorite, what's your favorite lineup you threw out this year? All right. So the horny award for best lineup play this year was LaMelo ball. At the one, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, a.k.a. Gordy, Miles Bridges, and P.J. Washington at the five. That was just our best lineup, um, but also my favorite one. I thought about taking Gordy out just because he's not exciting, as we've previously talked about. But that lineup was just so exciting because it was so good, dude. That was a lineup where you're like, damn, this team could like win a playoff series when we had that lineup cooking. So... Um, that's my favorite lineup of the season. It also cor- corresponds with like the best part of the season was when we were playing that lineup. Um, so yeah, that's what I'll look back on this season most fondly of. Damn. Yeah. We had the, uh, we had the favorite lineup. Uh, no surprise. We also both considered like maybe you swap Gordy with McDaniels, but no, I mean, what I see in that lineup right there is a lineup that the Boston Celtics have been striving to get for five years, but they don't have winning players like LaMelo, Miles, and PJ. So now we get to indoctrinate the other Celtics into what an actual winning playoff lineup would look like. <laughs> Enough said, dude. Yeah, that's awesome. We had, a, we had a lot of the same picks, dude. Kind of a shocking amount of the same picks for these awards. Me and Tim did not correspond before this episode. No, we did not. Also, I should say about that lineup, that was only our 11th most commonly used five-man lineup last year. Yeah, that's kind of sad because we used yeah. Cody Zeller and fucking Bismack Biombo so much of the yeah. five. Biz- Bismack in three of our top five most prominent lineups. Uh, not, not great, but I do want to give an honorary shout-out to my second favorite lineup of the year, and that is okay. uh, Brad Wanamaker, Caleb Martin, <laughs> Cody Martin, Miles Bridges, and Bismack Biombo which played almost as many minutes as our favorite lineup. <laughs> Yo, that is depressing. I cannot believe that that's true. <laughs> All right. What was your favorite Eric Collins call of the year? The horny award for the best Eric Collins call, Tim. And I want you to do this in Eric Collins' voice. Set the, set the tone first or set the atmosphere first. You know, tell us what was going on and then do it, do it in your Eric Collins voice. This was like a... It wasn't a boring game, but it was a Wednesday low, uh, guess low energy game against the uh, Sacramento Kings. It was the sequel to the Miracle at Midnight. And I think we're up like, let's say like 62-59. And, you know, they the Kings leak out on a fast break. Rashawn Holmes 
you know, slams it down in a super mundane, like one hand tomahawk. Uh, and Eric Collins just goes, wow, Dell. So you played against Carl Malone quite a bit in your day. Rashawn Holmes reminded me a lot of Carl Malone right there. And then there's like a seven second silence and Del Curry's like, yeah, I'm just not really seeing it. <laughs> I like, I like the route you went with this, just going with one of his like funnier calls. Uh, we love Eric Collins on this podcast, bro, but sometimes he says some ridiculous shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, actually the, I'm, I might have to take mine back. I'll, I'll give my real answer, but uh, at some point during the season when Nate Darling was in, I bet Nate's seen a moose before. That was one of my favorite calls of the season. Uh, But I I went with just like from a pure perspective, what was his best call of the season? And this was uh, when Terry Rozier dunked all over KD in the third game of the season. He goes, oh my goodness, Terry Rozier, how do you do? And uh, yeah, that was that was a great call, great call by Eric Collins, and that really set the set the stage for the rest of the season of great Eric Collins calls. Yeah, honestly, in a season full of great highlights, uh, let's really give it up to Eric Collins for making the season fifteen percent more enjoyable, and and Del uh, Del Curry. Yep, yeah, great job by both of them. All right, Tim, this is the Hornets and Heartbreak podcast, so let's end our horny award segment with your most heartbreaking moment of the season. Uh, the season ended, you know, as we were the 10th seed, it was kind of a heartbreaking end of the season. What are you going with, Tim? All right, so the easy answer would just be the play-in and just really everything leading up to the play-in. Like, at least for me personally, I'm so trained in Hornets culture that as soon as we got run over by the Bulls uh, near the end of the season, I was like, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to miss the playoffs, aren't we? And just kind of felt that creeping determinism. But I would go with my most heartbreaking moment was the three-week stretch, uh, actually directly following our favorite stretch of the season, where the Jazz, Grizzlies, Blazers, and Jazz, once again, all broke their franchise three-point records against us. Okay, that is an interesting, interesting take. Was that really your most heartbreaking moment? Uh, Yeah, because there was just, you know, that two- or three-week stretch where – Every other night, I just felt as though I was getting rained upon by Carmelo Anthony and Grayson Allen and Bogdanovich. It was terrible. It was kind of traumatizing to just see us get poached like that, you know, just game after game. No, nah, but it was it, it was like in between games where LaMelo was scoring 30 points. So I, I, I don't feel you on that one. Uh, that stretch, I, I know what you're saying. That was like really shitty, but... I think overall that period of time of the season was super exciting. Like, I don't really care that we lost the trailblazers or whatever. They hit a lot of threes on us. Like that sucks if we're trying to win the finals, but I didn't really, I wasn't that, wasn't that concerned about it at the time. Oh man, you're saying that now you don't remember the third quarter where Mello hit, like, was it Mello hit four threes in a quarter and then Kyle Anderson hit three threes from the exact same spot in a five possession span. That was kind of, that was demoralizing at the very least. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't pick the Lamelo injury as the most heartbreaking moment of the season. Uh, the Lamelo injury was it's definitely up there, I guess, because I I was more thinking of it like in game mm. moments. Uh, yeah, the the Lamelo injury uh, when Miles got COVID that kind of just broke my heart because he was playing the best basketball of his career. 
uh obviously when my man monk got hurt i mean a lot of like little things like that but probably the road to the playing game as soon as we lost that bulls game and you just kind of check the schedule and you're like will we beat the knicks i mean of course the clippers have to take a game off right yeah but no yeah so yeah, I, dude, I would say it was so so i'm going with like a little bit of a hot take uh i am gonna i am gonna go with like the end of the season but it actually wasn't the pacers loss Going into that Pacers game, I was already like so demoralized from the like five losses in a row or whatever. It was actually that Knicks game on Saturday, just a couple Saturdays ago, when we went into OT and we lost that game. If you guys remember, if we had won just one of the last five games, we would have been the eight seed instead of the 10 seed. And we would have had to only win one game. We would have beat the Celtics. We'd be playing the Nets right now. Um, so that was just a big bummer, dude, that we couldn't win one of those last five games. And that Knicks game was when it hit me. You're saying it hit you when we lost to the Bulls. It didn't hit me until we lost to the Knicks. I was like, oh, shit, we're actually we're actually not going to make the playoffs. Like, that was when I, that was when I realized. Yeah, but I realized, like, my my best buddy at work is a Bulls fan, so we always talk about Bulls and Hornets. And he just looked at me, he's like, so y'all going to lose tonight? And I was like, ah, no way. And then, like, kind of dawned on me. I was like, oh, shit, dude, if we lose this game, like, we might be cooked. And, yeah, just, yeah, like, as you said, the playing game against the Pacers, that was kind of fait accompli. I feel like, you know, any real Hornets fan knew we were getting dust in that game. Uh, one, one fun stat about that game, one super not fun stat, I guess I should say, um, do you know who has scored the most points in the first five minutes of a game this season? Let me think about it for one second. Dude, no idea. Who is you it? Know, it's got to be Steph Curry, right? No, it's Doug McDermott scoring oh. 14 points against. <laughs> oh, I did know that. Yeah, I did. I did write that down. Yeah, Doug McDermott and TJ McConnell just absolutely cooking us. That was depressing. <laughs> oh, yeah. That made it so much worse because I was like, all right, sure. We don't have Gordon. Who needs him? They won't have Miles Turner. We'll, we'll be fine. And then it's like, it's one thing if like, you know, they were healthy and they were just beating us with their best players. It was TJ McConnell. It was TJ McConnell tearing us up, man. No franchise deserves that. Yeah. The absolutely most brutal way to go out. Um, all right, bro. Let's, let's move on at the end here. We want to talk just a little bit about the uh, NBA playoffs. Generally me and Tim, we got We got to get this on paper or we got to get this out there into the ether. Uh, our picks for the title. Me and Tim, we started talking about uh, the playoffs last week. We actually started recording an episode just generally about the NBA playoffs. That content will forever not be released to the public. We stopped recording midway through, but Tim had some hot takes for for everybody on the playoffs that have actually started to come true. Why don't you Why don't you tell the listeners about that, Tim? Yeah, I I'll get a little vindication off this. If anyone wants the audio file, I will send it to you. Just shoot an email to hornetsandheartbreak at gmail.com um to prove my points mark and i we were going over just playoff takes series by series and he was mocking me for calling everything in six so i was like you know what put on my big boy pants bucks in five and then mark (laughs) is like dude he's like come on we're recording a pod be serious don't don't just mess around with these i was like no i'm being serious i was like you know i have no faith in this bogus heat culture i was like jimmy butler is like a career 30 percent three-point shooter he's not gonna get hot again and mark's like all right bro come on all right we'll we'll just we'll record another time Uh, so bucks in five looking great right now that was uh the previous series i predicted mavericks in six and mark was just like why 
Why? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, you know, I think the most exciting playoff series is going to be the Knicks versus Hawks. And Mark is like, dude, no one cares about that series. <laughs> and it's lost. I'm so annoyed. Like, I shouldn't care. It's so petty. But I'm like, I was right for once in my life. <laughs> All of the things Tim just said is a lie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, actually, he's completely right about the. I don't know if I was like disagreeing with you as hard about the Mavericks one, but I definitely was not not with you on the Bucks thing. And I still don't love the New York uh, Atlanta series, uh, even after that first game. But anyways, uh, def- definitely was not with you on the Bucks thing. We'll see how that series plays out. I still think that he could make a little. Make a little push. Also, wouldn't be shocked with Bucks and four, though, to be honest. <laughs> yes, there. All right. So, what's your pick for the finals, Tim? Uh, my pick for the finals is Bucks over Lakers in six. I'm going Nets over Lakers in six. So we are close. No love we, for the Lakers on the spot. I, yeah, I just, I just think the Nets with if they stay healthy with Kyrie, KD, and James Harden, I just think that's too much, bro. I don't know. What, I don't know what the Lakers do against that. Yeah, my whole thing is, it's like you know, I trust the I trust the Lakers to defend a little better, you know. Like, I mean, who who's stopping AD on the Nets? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a fact. What we're gonna find out who makes it between the Bucks and the Nets pretty soon. That's gonna be a second round series. That yeah, I think that will probably be the best series of the playoffs. Maybe my hopes are too high. It kind of feels like what was that twenty eighteen where it was. Bucks, Celtics, and then Sixers versus Buck or God, uh, yeah, Bucks, Celtics, then Sixers versus uh, Raps mm-hmm. in the second round. Yeah, it kind of feels like how this is going to shape up this year. Very excited for the second round, and yeah, I mean, honestly, every playoff series other than you know Philly, Washington, and Boston, Brooklyn, you're great. Yeah, yeah, the playoffs have been super, super exciting to watch so far. Um, shit, I was going to say something about the Nets Lakers series, but whatever. Uh, Nets, Nets and six. I definitely still expect the Lakers to make it out of the West, which gets me to uh, Liquor Marks Degenerate Gambling Corner, sponsored by Miller Lite. Uh, I've been posting my bets for the playoffs on Instagram every single year. Uh, when the Hornets don't make the playoffs, I just start gambling on the playoffs a little bit uh, to to keep myself interested, give myself just a like little a, bit. <laughs> yeah, just just a little bit, give myself a rooting interest in like a team um, in the postseason. So I bet on the heat in game two, $20, massive L that did not pan out. I could at least stop watching that game after the first quarter. Cause they were down by like 30. Uh, so I just turned that one off. Uh, but I put 30 on the nuggets in game two, which was a W. So up $5 collectively on my two bets. Uh, and I put $55 on the Lakers to win the series uh, prior to game two. They were at minus 110, which was just like ridiculously low odds. Um, I definitely am very confident that they're going to win the series. So that is a good bet. Sorry, fans. You guys can't get those odds anymore. I believe they've spiked up to like minus 200, minus 300, something like that, but still a pretty safe bet. If you want to just, you know, put some money down on that, I would recommend it. Yeah. And you know, if you're very liquid, uh, really got to recommend the, uh, nets, you know, what is it? Uh, plus 25,000. Uh, you know, got to really look into that one. If you have a lot of cash to burn. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to put a hundred K on the nets to beat the Celtics, you will get back $5. Those (laughs) those are fake numbers, but that's pretty much what those odds imply. Um, All right, Tim, let's 
uh, give a big shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. Shout out to Melvin Todd, Tim Rogers, Xavier Harvin, TC Cunningham, Isaac Black, Brandon Garcia, Austin Johnson, Rob McMillan, Evan Georges, Caitlin Ferland, and Jack Anderson. Shout out to all y'all. Uh, appreciate the support in the offseason. Tim and I will continue to do one episode per week each Wednesday. And uh, yeah, appreciate the support, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much to everyone that's taking the time to listen, rate, review, share, subscribe. It all works for us. Uh, yeah, and you know we will be here, as Mark said, once a week, just getting active, seeing what's going on in the NBA, talking a little stuff, maybe outside the NBA. Let's see. We'll have a good summer, though. And uh, thank you once again, everyone, for listening. Yeah, I think next week we're going to probably do an episode covering all of the like post uh postseason press conferences not postseason but like after the season press conferences um from all the players and staff so look for that uh, at least that's the tentative plan for next week no guarantees look for that to come next wednesday and uh, all right and i think that just about does it all right look at martin see about there we go